right, we are in, again, here's the shirt. You can buy one of those, and the proceeds are going to our missus trip to Kentucky. But we are in a series called Stand Strong. I, I've already fallen in love with this series. It gets me so excited as I'm preparing for it, and then certainly as I'm speaking on it. I love this series because I think it's something that we have to be, uh, we have to be more um, available to today, standing strong. There's so much that's happening in our society, in our community, in our nation, in our world that has a lot of Christians kind of hiding in the closet, closet Christians, or hiding in the dark, or not. And here's the thing. God is calling us to stand strong, and if we stand strong, we're also going to stand out. It's important who we're standing out for, and that's Jesus. That's Jesus. We've got to be people who are standing strong when many are not. The Bible says this about Christians. That in the, in the last days, however long that might be, in the last days that many Christ followers, not just people in general, but the Bible says that many Christ followers will fall away. Listen, I don't want that to be us. In fact, I want us to continue to stand stronger and stronger and stronger in who we are in Jesus so that our world is changed around us. Listen, everyone in this room has walked through trials and crisis. Some may have walked through those hardships because of their desire to live for God. As we continue in this world, there is a likelihood that we, being Christ followers, will be confronted with decisions to sacrifice and perhaps suffer to stand for God. When we face those times, do we stand or do we give in? This morning, we're going to talk about the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and most of us are probably very familiar with it. But as we look at their lives, there's so much that we can draw from. In the midst of adversity, we can trust God to be with us and work for our good. Our responsibility is to stand in faith. The results are up to God. Our trust in God will be tested by the realities of life. At times, God will deliver us from difficulties, but other times, he walks with us through them. Listen, in both situations, he is faithful. He's faithful. We see this come alive in the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I hope that you have experienced this in your own life, that in the moments of trials or in the moments of hardships, as we continue to look to God, that our faith would just come alive and we would find ourselves standing strong in who he is. We're not going to read the whole story. We're going to skip around a little bit, but we're going to read a lot of it. We're going to start in Daniel chapter 3. Starting in verse 1, we're going to read verses 1 through 6, and then we're going to skip to 16 and 18, and then we're going to uh, refer to a few of those in between as we go on this morning. But Daniel chapter 3, starting in verse 1, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, the uh, prefects, the governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all other uh, provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, nations and people of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. 
Let me, let me stop there because I didn't talk about this the first service, uh, but I thought about it later. The reason that the Herald is saying this, nations and peoples of every language, because there are many exiles here in Babylon, most of them being of Jewish descent, the Israelites. But there were many, many people there. And even the Jews, uh, sometimes we think, when we think back about scripture, we would think that all the Israelites were speaking the same language, but they didn't. In fact, they didn't even look alike. They were from many parts of the world then, and so they had been spread out. I mean, of course, we had the story of Noah, and after Noah, you know, the, the whole the Israelite family begins to spread. They're all over the world, so they look different. Some are lighter skinned, some are darker skinned. They spoke different languages. And so here we have, they're, they're now in exile here in Babylon, and that's why that's spoken. Nations and peoples of every language. This is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. By the way, this blazing furnace was there to be seen, to be felt if you were too close. Let's skip to verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, We do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hands. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Listen, these, these three young men knew exactly what was going to happen if they spoke this to the king or to the officials, and they spoke it anyways. Man, they, there's so much that we can draw from, from these three young guys as we go throughout their story. The three Hebrew boys were not saved from the furnace, but delivered through the furnace. It was their faith that took them in, faith that sustained them, and faith that delivered them. God was at work in all of it. Man, I don't know about you, but if I was them, my hope would be that God would deliver me from not going into the furnace. But that's not what happened. And I love as we see, we're going to go through a few points of what they presented or demonstrated to us. But I love the fact that the furnace is there in front of them. They knew what was going to happen. They made this stand anyways. They stood to stand strong. And they were, then they were actually thrown into the furnace. And if you're familiar enough with the story, then you know the guys who threw them in died because just to get close enough to throw them in, it was so hot that they died. Now, come on, I'm I'm thinking, God, okay, listen, I'm getting pretty close. You're like, now now I'm like pushing back on the soldiers, pushing me in. Anybody else there with me? God, I'm getting close. Maybe we've also done that in our own lives as we're approaching hardship or stepping into hardship or walking through hardship. Sometimes we think, all right, God, that's enough. I would have thought that as I was being pushed into this furnace. But let's learn from this morning because Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were men of character. And they were these, these four characters. The first one is this, courage. They were men of courage. In Daniel 3.12, they say, But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you. Now, it was being exaggerated because we also know that in the story, they gave much honor and respect to the king. However, they were standing for God. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty, they neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. So in the midst of knowing what was about to happen, they stood with courage. 
Courage is the resolve to do what is godly even when no one else does. Listen, courage is what causes us to stop a conversation when it goes to a place it shouldn't go. Courage causes us to reach out to those around us. Courage causes us to go up to somebody in the middle of Target or Walmart and pray for them because we know God is wanting us to. And when I think about little things like that compared to what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were up against, man, they displayed some courage that I'm saying in my own life I need. I need this courage. You know, I was thinking about courage as I was preparing, and and I thought this, that a lot of times in the life of a Christ follower, courage looks a lot like faith. And and maybe we can kind of hold those in the same hand, but courage in the life of a Christ follower looks a lot like faith. And then I began to think about my own life. Has there been any times in my own life where I needed like a supernatural courage? And I don't know that there has been. I'm praying that if that time came, I would be able to stand with courage. I, anyways, I started to think about this. How many of y'all like to swim? How many of you have ever been to the beach and you swim out just a bit too far? And whether the current or maybe you just weren't paying attention, all of a sudden you look back and it's, the shore's a good ways back and, and you're thinking, man, I, I got tired swimming out. I don't know that I have enough strength to get back in. I've done that a few times. In fact, one time when I was in Miami, Pompano Beach, uh, in fact, I had swim out. And I'm a good swimmer. I grew up in Florida, so I was swimming all the time. I swam in everything, literally everything. Canals, ditches if it had enough water, uh, the river, everywhere um, I, I was swimming. So we were at Miami, Pompano Beach, and I had swam out, and it was, it was, the current was a bit too strong. There were signs up about rip currents. You know, of course, my parents had told me, stay close to the shore, stay close to the shore, and I didn't. Uh, I swam out, but when I began to look back and see how far I was, and just with a few strokes back to the shoreline, I wasn't hardly moving, I knew that I was in trouble. Uh, and, and so I had spent enough time at the ocean and in these type of waters where I remembered if you swim parallel, you know, with the current parallel to the shoreline, you'll eventually get back. Now, that's a much longer swim than directly back. But, And then I begin to thought, think about this. How many of you, raise your hand if you're a good swimmer, pretty good swimmer, confident in the water. Would you be as confident if you're out in the middle of the ocean alone with nothing else there, just out there treading water? Any, anybody would be confident out there? No, I wouldn't either. However, I've been in the middle of the ocean on a cruise ship. Anybody with me? Anybody been on a cruise? I'm out there. Guess what I didn't think about? I didn't think about how far I was from the shoreline. I didn't think about how deep the water was or how big the waves were. You know what I was thinking about? The all-day ice cream and pizza. That's what I... That's what I was thinking about. I didn't give any thought, any hesitation, any fear to what might would be. Why? Because I had complete faith in the boat that I was on. This is pre-COVID. I don't know if I have. <laughs> I don't know if, the, if you walk. <laughs> the worst I had to deal with, the first cruise we ever went on uh, was in December. There was 52 of us, friends and family. My mom made these really ugly T-shirts for everybody to wear, um, but we were wearing them, and we saw them everywhere, and everybody was like, oh, look, there's another one, there's another one, uh, but it was, it was, a hurricane had gone through, and there was rough waters, and literally, like, the boat was, like, moving. They canceled shows, they can't, they closed the swimming pool because they couldn't keep water in the swimming pool. It's that bad, and I already get motion sickness, so if there was anything on the boat that I could take orally or wear on my body to, to keep me from being motion sickness, it was on. I literally spent two nights sleeping and up on deck in the lawn chairs. So that was, that was my first cruise. But here's the thing, like out in the middle of the ocean, I love cruises. I love the food. 
But I love cruises. And out there, I have complete faith in the boat that I'm in. How about, how about this? How many of you would climb a ladder, uh, let's just say 15 feet high? Would anybody climb a ladder 15 feet high? Uh, how about 40 feet? 40 feet's the tallest ladder that I've climbed. I used to hang gutters and 40 feet. Okay, a few people would climb a ladder 40 feet high. I don't mind climbing. I just hate moving it. They're extremely heavy uh, that tall. How, how about 100 feet? How many of you would feel comfortable climbing a ladder like 100 feet high? Maybe one of these water towers out here. You know, you'd, you'd climb the ladder. Okay, we got a few people. H- how about this? How about 1,000 feet? Would anybody feel comfortable climbing a 1,000-foot ladder just pointing straight up? How about 35,000 feet? 30, anybody, anybody, brave, 35, how many of you have ever been in a plane? Yeah, 35 to 38,000 feet is like the average height of a plane. And we never think, oh my goodness, right? Maybe you, when you hit turbulence, everybody's like, whoa. <laughs> but I've been on many, many planes and, and I've never really had a thought of, oh my goodness, I'm so scared because we're so high off the ground, right? We're 35,000 feet or so in the air, and I had complete faith in the airplane. Airplane. Listen, to me, it wasn't necessarily about courage, but it was about having this faith, and that faith to me as a Christ follower, many times will present itself as I'm being courageous. I think it's a difference in just like I have faith in a cruise ship or an airplane, if my faith is in Jesus, if my faith is in God, It's not a coincidence that God had to speak to Joshua several times and say, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous. Because in our humanity, every one of us in here have experienced times where courage was needed to stand strong. Maybe it was just a conversation at work you were in, and inside you have this rumbling, and you knew that God, the Holy Spirit, was saying, listen, I want you to speak up. I just want you to speak up. Maybe it was at school. Maybe it was on the softball field or the football field, or maybe it was in a store. Maybe it was at, at your family's house or with some friends or that time where all of a sudden you begin to feel something inside saying, listen, you need to speak up. You need to share who I am. This person is looking. This person needs to hear what you know. Share it. Listen, that's the time where we've got to pray that we will be people of courage, of courage. Here's the second thing, conviction. We have to be people of Conviction. Daniel 3, 15 and 16 says this. Now when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you'll be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God, then what lowercase g, then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand. Verse 16 says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego reply to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. Listen, compromise occurs when we don't have the conviction to stand for what we believe. And I would say that in the church at large, we've seen a lot of compromise, a lot of compromise. We had to be people who begin to stand up for the truth and the power of God's word because the truth and the power of God's word is what sets people free. Now hear me out because I'm not one, I've never been one that has believed much in in protest. I mean, I've known people who would protest, you know, Walmart and protest this and protest that. And and I just believe, man, if you're going to do that, then you better, you better stand up and protest everything because everything is worldly, right? But I, I, I am coming to a place where instead of speaking out against something, especially not someone, But coming to a place, instead of speaking out against something, I need to speak out for God. 
before God. This is what we're talking about with this conviction. That even as we look at God's word, I think we become pros, Christians, Christ followers have become pros about picking and choosing what we're going to stand on when it comes to God's word. We pick out the verses that are really easy to live by, and man, we'll quote those, but the love your enemy verses, like we're going to skip right over those, highlight those with a black sharpie, never mention those, right? Because that's difficult. Listen, we've got to be people of conviction that we stand on all of God's word. I love what Jessica told me between service. She called it the trail, trail mix. Trail mix in the Bible. And as soon as he said it, I was like, yeah, I'm guilty of that. Has anybody ever had the trail mix, the bag of trail mix, and, and you start picking out the M&Ms? Those, that's what's good. That's what tastes good, but everything else is good for you. We do that with Scripture, don't we? We pick out the stuff that, like, man, that's an easy one to swallow. But the good stuff, the stuff that brings nutrients and growth and health, like, we skip over those things. Trail mix in the Bible. I love it. Listen, we've got to be people of conviction that no matter what conversation we're in, no matter what circumstances we find ourselves in, that we're going to speak up and we're going to speak the truth in the power of God's word, even when it's difficult. Now, I can promise you this. If we become people of conviction, you're going to lose relationships. You're going to lose friendships. Sometimes even with people who have been friends a long time, you're going to lose those friendships. And maybe even friendship with some Christ followers. Can, can I just give you some permission right now? Not that, I, not that I need to. It's okay not to hang out with some Christians. It's okay to not hang out with some Christ followers. I don't think that we should ever get to a place where, you know, we're looking down on them, uh, right? Going back to even loving our enemies. But if, if we're speaking and standing on conviction of who God is and how he wants us to live, not every Christ follower is also standing. And that's a difficult place to be. So in my heart, I always choose to love, but I've just come to know that there's even some Christ followers that I can't hang out with. Because I'm, I'm just not there. I'm not saying there is worse than where I'm at because I'm pretty messed up. I don't know if you can get more messed up than messed up. But I just know that when I'm around even some Christ followers, man, my focus isn't on how good God is. My focus is on everything that they don't have and how bad work is and how bad their wife or husband is and how awful their children are and that their car's broken down. And there's like some, I, I'm having those conversations and inside I'm like, wake up. We sing about God's goodness. Let's be people of conviction. Here's the third thing, confidence. People of confidence. Daniel 3.17, if we are, I love this response, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. Listen to the confidence that they have in who God is. Can, let's, let's be real for a minute. It's not like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had been thrown into a fiery furnace before, and God, this is the first time I'm pretty sure that they're threatened with this fiery furnace. Yet even in the midst of that, they have no idea what's about to happen, but their confidence is in God will deliver us. There's no question. So whether you throw us in or he keeps us from being thrown in, God is going to deliver us. Why? Their confidence wasn't in the fact that they had fire retardant clothing on. Their confidence was in who God is. They knew exactly who God is. They stand upon his promises, which means this to them. God will deliver us. He will. 
And I love, too, that their, their confidence is, even if I have to be thrown in, deliverance is going to come from there. God will deliver us. He will deliver us. I mean, in my own life, just the lack of confidence, you know, I've, I've been through some hard things, but there's been times in my life where I had too many questions. And God, listen, God is okay with you asking questions. God is okay with you not understanding and even asking why. Why God? Why God? But the thing in my life is I want to get to a place where I don't have to. I don't need to. I don't need to ask those questions. I mean, there's still even some things happening recently. I'm like, why? Why is it happening that way? It could happen in such an easier way. Why is it happening that way? But I want to get to a place where like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, like my confidence brings me to a place where some of the why, I'm not even asking the why questions. Listen, faith is not manipulating God to get what we want, nor is it trusting in what we want to happen. Faith is being confident, fully persuaded that God is always faithful, forever with us, and constantly working for our good. Oh, that was a really good chance to say hallelujah. He's always working for our good. And this is that faith, the confidence, the courage that we're talking about this morning. That I don't have to go to God, and, and I'm pretty good at this, uh, to be honest. I'm pretty good at going to God and trying to convince him that my plan is what should happen. Anybody else try to pray God into your own plans? Instead of going to him and saying, God, listen, I've got a pretty good idea what I would like to happen, but not my will, yours be done. Because I'm really good about going to prayer after I already have a plan. I want to be this person of such great confidence that God's the first person I have a conversation with when a plan needs to be developed. That I'm automatically looking to him and seeking his guidance. See, that's confidence. Not confidence in my own abilities, my own strength, my own provision, but just confidence in who God is and believing. Listen, It's hard, I know, believing that all things work together for our good. Come on, wait a second. All things? Are you sure about that? Because there's there's obviously some things that happen in our life that don't feel that it's being worked out for our good. I've been through several things that that question's being asked. God, listen, I know what your word says. I want to be this person of great confidence like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. No matter what is put before me. I know who God is, right? Here's the last thing, commitment. Daniel 3.18, but even if he does not, I love this part of their response. We're talking about deliverance from the furnace. Even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Listen, that statement was more for the king and not for them. They're making this statement for his benefit because they're standing in complete confidence, committed to the calling of God on their life, saying, listen, we believe that God's going to deliver us, but even if you throw us in and we perish, we're not going to worship this image, this idol that you've set up before us. Why? Because they were completely committed to one God, to the only God true God, to the capital G God. They were completely committed to that. Listen, commitment in the lives of a a Christ follower is vital. It's vital. Because things will get difficult. I wish I could say that once you become a Christ follower, everything's easy, but the Bible tells me something different. 
that I will face trials, I will face tribulations, I will face hardship, grief, pain, all those things, but I have to stand committed to striving to live for God, committed to proclaiming his name, committed to worshiping him and worshiping only him. Commitment is a really big deal. I begin to think about commitment in marriage because a lot of times in marriage, when we're going through our wedding vows and the marriage ceremony, we talk a lot about love. And by the way, we should. Love is extremely important in a marriage. Uh, Don't raise your hand and certainly don't look cross-eyed at your spouse. But if you've been married for more than a day, maybe more than five minutes, there might be a time where you didn't necessarily feel like this overwhelming love in your life. Now, that hasn't happened for me. I had to explain to the first service because there was a few visitors that this is my wife. This isn't just some random woman that I went up and started <laughs> rubbing on her arm. Committed. That no matter what happens, this is, I'm committed to this. And, and even in the church, we've, we've gotten away from this commitment when it comes to our, our marriage relationship. Because it's so easy. When things get difficult, that commitment goes out the window. This commitment that we have with God, how committed am I to the person, to the woman that I made vows to right before God? I made a vow to him. I made a vow to her. I need to be committed to that no matter how difficult things might get. And we've kind of walked away from that. I've just seen just in general commitment is one of these things that we lack in the church today as Christ followers. We talk about God sometimes when things are good. And maybe if we're real honest, we don't even give him praise then. We give praise to our hard work and our increased paycheck, our promotion. We give praise to all the work I put in for the success, but we stop giving praise to God. Listen, this is what I'm I'm thinking God wants us to be committed to, to constantly, always giving him praise, always giving him honor, showing the worship, not just when we're confined within these four walls, but worshiping God in the streets. Listen, on the 25th, we have a perfect opportunity to do this. We're going to worship him in a public park just a few miles from him, Rescue Squad Park, if you know where that's at. If you don't, you can find it on Google. But just a few miles from here, outside, there's a pavilion, just in case we have a little bit of rain, we'll be covered. But we're choosing to worship God in the open. When did that stop in the life of a Christ follower? We were so adamant to raise our hands and lift our voice here in a building with four walls and a roof. But we fail to do it at work. We fail to do it in school. We fail to do it in the marketplace, in our neighborhoods. This is what commitment we're talking about. I'm committed to worshiping the one and only God, not just on Sunday mornings. So we walk through these hardships, these struggles, these trials. To be committed means we stay the course. We stand with confidence and we keep going on when the going gets tough. I want to share this personal story right before we close. Uh, years ago, in fact, it was 2000, 2004, Brandy and I moved from our whole family. In fact, we had four kids then. We have nine now, so we've added a few. Um, but we moved from the Daytona Beach area to a really small town in Virginia. The town was South Boston. It's not, it wasn't even classified as a city. It's just a town, a very small little downtown area. The, the, uh, the county is Halifax County, so that's probably familiar to you. Um, but Halifax County was large. The town itself was small. It was a small tobacco town. We were looking to plant a church to be lead pastors for a, a brand new church, to start a church ourselves. We knew that God was calling us to do that. And we were looking at demographic studies of several different areas 
trying to pick which area that God was calling us to, right? Uh, and, and to be honest, when I looked at the demographic, demographics for this small town, I, I had zero interest, no interest whatsoever, um, because it was a town of right around 8,000 people. It's, it's declined every year since even then in 2004, uh, because there's just, there's nothing there. And so everybody, all the young people who are growing up and graduating, they're leaving and not coming back. And so anyway, I did this demographic study, and I was like, man, I just don't have any interest for that, and I was really praying that God would lead us somewhere else. I tried to convince him that he was, and but we just knew. In fact, Brandy and I knew, and when she spoke up and said that she knew God was calling us there, like for me, it was like, I don't even need to pray about it anymore. God has spoken. <laughs> I, I, I believe that. Uh, so so we, we make the plans to move, and, I, and, I, and I, can't, I wish I could tell you every story, because God did some amazing, amazing things, but every year was difficult. We've, we we moved there in 2004, we launched the church in 2006, and we pastored there till 2017. And every year was difficult. We went through some, uh, some horrific and painful things as a family, as a result of uh, the church, people in the church. It was just, a, it was, every year was tough. But in the beginning, this is how, this is how our journey into this small town started. Uh, we, were, we were working with the supervisor over Virginia, and so he was orchestrating. In fact, he pastored in Danville, Virginia, which is real close to South Boston, Virginia. Uh, and So he was orchestrating and organizing and helping to get us up there. And, and so we, we drove for like 15 hours. I forget what day it was, whether it be a Friday or Saturday or maybe a Wednesday. But we drove for 15 hours. We've got the largest U-Haul truck. You know, I'm pulling a vehicle behind me. Most of the family is in the, the – and our dog is in the van, our minivan – with Brandy, and we made this long trip. This U-Haul would go like 35 miles uphill. It was so, so aggravating. Uh, but we made this long drive. We get there about 10.30 at night to the church where we were supposed to meet the supervisor, and he was going to lead us to this house that he set up uh, or had set up for us to stay in for a few weeks until we could get on our feet, find a place. Um, and so we, we get there. Oh, so some funding was um, promised to us. This house was promised to us. And I mean, it was, it was all great. We were excited. We get to the church at 1030 and nobody's there. And so I get on the phone and I'm trying to call him and he's not answering his phone. And so it took about 45 minutes to an hour before he finally answered his phone. He's the only number I had from anybody there. We knew, we, we didn't know anybody uh, in the area. We didn't know anybody from the church. And, and, and so I finally get a hold of him and I'm like, hey, hey you know, we're, we're here at the church and we would love for you to you know, take us to the house. Everybody's tired and he was supposed to already be there. And he said, oh yeah, I mean, that, that fell through. I'm like, what do you, what do you mean that fell through? Like, I had, I had been talking with him for a few weeks. We had texted each other back and forth the whole day I was driving, not ever getting the indication that it had fell through and not making any other plans. So here I have my family after driving for like 15 hours. We're at this church at 1030. Well, it's, it's now closer to 1130 at night when I hear, like, he doesn't have a, a place for us to go. And I'm like, so, you know, what do we do? And he's, he said, well, I mean, I guess you'll need to get a hotel or something. And we didn't really have the funds to get a hotel, Literally didn't have, have the funds. to. He paid for our guest to get up there, but we didn't have the funds to get a hotel. And so I'm, I'm standing there going like, what in the world is, is happening? So after he was of no help and didn't want to help, uh, we had to call our friends that were another two and a half uh, hours away, two hours and 15 minutes away in Amelia, Virginia, uh, at almost midnight to see if we could drive on to their house and stay a few nights. And so that's, that's what we did. Listen, that was the start of the place that God was calling us to. 
And every year after that was just difficult, difficult, difficult. I had so many trusted leaders saying, just move somewhere else. Start another church. And this is the thing, when it comes to this committed thing, I was extremely committed. God had told me to go there, and until he told me to go anywhere else, I just couldn't. And it's not like I was wanting all the hardship so that I could tell this story a few years later. I didn't want it at all. I didn't want the pain. I didn't want the struggles. But let me tell you some things that happened in that community and through our church because I believe. And again, this isn't isn't some type of, hey, look at me, uh, because it was difficult and I didn't always respond well and I didn't always have the right thing to say and and I hurt people. But here's some things that God did as we stayed committed to the place that he called us. We started the ministry. Our church launched. uh, It seemed like we didn't see any growth for a while. We were in an old theater. We moved to a storefront just a few doors down and exploded. Almost overnight, we exploded. We got up to over 200 people in this really small uh, storefront, standing room only. At some times, the air-conditioned unit wouldn't keep up. We had to make several building transitions. We ended up uh, a few years into it buying an elementary school. Let me tell you about the elementary school because this is something that I, I just believe God was going to do. It sat empty for a while. I had great relationships with the town and the community. We ended up buying a 45,000 square foot elementary school on 10 acres for $200,000. Because the town had to put it, legally they had to put it in the paper and advertise the sale of it, but they literally put it in these obscure places where nobody would see it. So we got this great building. We began to have, in in the middle of winter there in this small town, low income everywhere, a lot of the homes were heated with baseboard heating or kerosene heating. And this one particular, our, the first family we ministered to for this ministry that we started, Sandman, S-A-N-M-A-N, and it stood for see a need, meet a need. It was like, all right, God, you bring us the need and we'll meet it. This family called out and was calling around to several different churches, but called us because they had lost everything. They were low income. They were renting a house. They lost everything. Uh, somebody had left an article of clothing on a kerosene heater, and it caught on fire. They were putting it there to dry or to warm up, and it caught on fire, burned everything. They had nothing and it was a family with three kids, nothing, zero. They reached out to us to see how we could help, and right away inside as I was feeling the call, I knew that God wanted to give them everything. So I made some calls at a team of people now calling around the community. When they found a rental house, we put them up in a hotel for a while, when they found a rental house, and it didn't take long, we were able to fully furnish their house. And I mean everything, kids' clothing, kids' tours. I was asking them what they needed. Right at the very end, like we were moving everything in, and I just hadn't thought about a TV. They hadn't mentioned a TV. But I'm standing in their living room after we had had a team of people gather everything, move it all into their their new house. I asked them, is there anything else that you need? And the, the woman with tears in her eyes said, well, this isn't that important, but we don't have a TV I'm like, I'm going to find you a TV. I I got on the phone, started calling a few people. Within a few hours, we had two TVs being delivered to their house. Amazing. Several years into it, we were highly involved in the Christmas parade, uh, and we, it was so fun what was happening with the Christmas parade there in the town as we got involved. Uh, But one of the things we ended up doing is our Christmas parade would end at the park. Can, Can I say this? I'm a Christ follower who's not afraid of Santa Claus. I love Santa Claus. Uh, so we asked the town, we went to the town and said, hey, after the parade, we would love to do a Christmas celebration in the park. The cool thing is we had live music and it was all Christmas music, most of that pointing uh, to Jesus. You know, we would sing some of the fun ones too, uh, but the song's pointing to Jesus. But here's the thing that I wanted to share. As we began to step out and do this, it was, it was well beyond what we could fund, um, but as we began to step out and do this, somebody from Toys for Tots heard what we were trying to do and donated 
tens of thousands of toys. Ten, tens of thousands. A pastor in the D.C. area called me up and said, hey, uh, we've heard about what you're, what you're doing, and I've got toys from Toys or t- from Tots. They're just in a storage uh, shed. If you can come, unit, if you can come up and get them, they're yours. So we drove up there to the D.C. area. We picked up all these toys in a big uh, box truck, and we brought them back. This is what we were able to do. A few years in a row, we went into some uh, apartment complexes, the lower-income areas of the community, and we celebrated Christmas with them and gave at least three toys to every kid in those communities. And then at the park, as we were doing this Christmas celebration, we gave at least three toys to every kid that lined up. And I've got photos. The, The park is crowded, and there's this long line of people waiting to get toys. But God blessed us. He blessed us, and all of that, as I look back, some of it causes me to be emotional. But it's just this commitment to say, God, whatever you want, whatever I've got to walk through to to accomplish what you've called us to do. Listen, I say that as a church and as Christ followers, whatever we've got to walk through, let's be committed. Let's be committed to who God is. Let's be committed to worshiping him and giving him everything that we are and everything that we have and then stand back and watch in amazement at what he does. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were talking about their story thousands of years later because they stood committed and worship the one and only God. Let's close our eyes as the worship team comes up. We're going to close with a song this morning that is right out of this story. I love it, I love it, I love it. But I just want you to close our eyes as we have this time of response, and certainly we'll continue to respond as we sing this song of worship. You'll be familiar with it, although it's the first time we're doing it here. Listen, hear me this morning. God is able and he's faithful. He will deliver those who trust him. If we are people who stay committed, if we are people who are confident in who he is, if we're people who stand on convictions and we walk through this life with demonstrating courage, can we just know this and settle here, rest here, find peace here, that at times God delivers us from the crisis, but at times God delivers us through the crisis, through the furnace. what we can be confident of is his presence and his provision. Listen, when we're willing to stand for God, he'll show up on our behalf. He's gonna do that for you as an individual. He's gonna do that for us as a church. He's gonna do that in our community because there's so many people who need him and they're looking to us. Let's be committed. Let's stand on conviction. Let's be people of courage. If you're struggling in one of these four areas this morning, I would just say, have a conversation with the Holy Spirit, even in the midst of our worship in this final song, and let God empower you in the areas that you might find yourself weak in. Let's stand and worship.